0: This is the Owens Recovery Science Podcast, hosted by physical therapist, Johnny Owens.
1: back to another Owens Recovery Science podcast. This is Johnny Owens. We've got an awesome podcast today um, because we're right on the heels of baseball winter meetings, right on the heels of this World Series where my team, the Astros, got me, man. Um, and we're going to have a talk with a couple of experts, and this is our World Series Blood Flow Restriction Edition. <laughs> We got Jeremiah Randall, who's the head athletic trainer for the Houston Astros with us. And we have Seth Blee, who's the, uh, the head physical therapist for the Washington Nationals with us as well. And so we're going to try not to fight about uh, you know this World Series stuff and who should have won, who could have won, or whatever. We're, we're going to be nice, we're all friends. Uh, but we really want to kind of get into a deep dive of, of what, what an actual uh, clinician does with a baseball team uh what's their kind of pain points from from injuries to recovery to everything else um and then kind of what these guys are doing with blood flow restriction and then who knows where we'll go from that so i'm just going to do the bios here real quick these things are freaking long guys so jeremiah randall he's a pt atc he's been with the astros since 2015 so the freaking glory years man you know i was when i was you know really tracking the astros back in the day we were the bottom dwellers so uh, maybe maybe it's what you're doing there, Jeremiah, but World Series in 2017. Um, in 2017, he, he and his staff were, were chosen as the MLB Athletic Training Staff of the Year, which that's given out by his peers, uh, PBAS, Professional Baseball Athletic Training Society, which is always cool uh, to see recognition from your peers. And, and Jeremiah has been in the league for a while, so he was with the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates uh, for three seasons before that as their major league rehab coordinator. And then uh, he was with the Los Angeles Dodgers um, as their minor league rehab coordinator since 2010. So, dude knows him some baseball. Um, like so many people, He's uh, he got his uh, DPT at the University of Miami with, with my main man down there, Larry Kahalen and um, then he uh, is also an athlete. So an undergrad, he was a three-year letterman in basketball track and received all-conference honors, man. Good for you, brother. All right, and then we've got Seth. Let's, let's see how Seth compares here, man. Um, Seth is a good old friend of mine, and he's at NOVA, which is up in the DC area. And he's, he works at this amazing, freaking, massive new NOVA sports medicine complex with one of my favorite orthopedic surgeons in the world, uh, Dr. Robin West. Um, he's also director of 18 outpatient clinics up in that whole Northern Virginia area. Um, he went to Boston college for undergrad, the students like Northeast the whole way. Then he went to Columbia university, um, for his, uh, MPT he's freaking certified in like everything that a clinician can be certified in. He also, um, like me and Kyle, he gets out and teaches quite a bit, um, for, for different groups. And, um, uh, also Seth. Uh, is an athlete as well he, he wrestled at boston college you don't even have cauliflower ears dude did you really wrestle i,
0: I haven't seen Indeed, johnny I, I will tell you i wore my headgear every practice
1: ah okay so <laughs> you just got the wrestling herpes but you didn't get the that's, cauliflower. Uh, plenty of ringworm to show for it yeah that's good um yeah and then in 2016 seth um, came on with the washington nationals as their team physically so thanks, guys, for being on here. I know you guys are busy. We've been trying to do this, I think, since the World Series. But everyone's flying around, moving around, and, and it's hard to get in. Um, but but basically, um, kind of, you know, we got people that are outside the United States and that listen to this and people who might not know the way baseball kind of flows. So take me through both of you guys' kind of organizations of, how do you manage injuries? What are the kind of injuries that, that, you know, maybe looking at last season that you were dealing with? What's the decision? Do you keep them close to home? When do you decide to send them down um, to the, maybe the minor leagues? Um, and then just kind of what, what are other pain points, keeping these guys recovered when you're flying around all
0: over? So if you guys can take me through that scenario, maybe maybe Seth, go first. Sure. Um, well, my situation is probably a little bit different than Jeremiah's um, because I'm not with the team full time. So I'm, I'm a PT, but I'm not an athletic trainer. Um, so I'm with the team when they're in town. Um, I get to get back in with them every time they come back in and and work with our athletic training staff and our, our strength staff um, to manage things while the team's here. And then my role also is when the team goes on the road, anybody that's not traveling, that's hurt, stays back. So I'll work with them individually then. Um, So it's a little bit different for me, whether the team's in town or or they're not. Um, When they're in town, it's, it's really is a a big multidisciplinary approach. I mean, we'll sit down with, with PTs, athletic trainers, chiropractors, massage therapists, strength coaches, everybody gives their two cents as far as what's going on with a given guy and and what they need to do in a, in a certain day. And, you know, any complaints that we're hearing from anyone and, and try to put our, Brains together to figure out the best way to attack things. So, um, it really is making sure that everybody collaborates uh, on, on every single guy. Um, I've also spent a lot of time in the clinic, as you said. So, it's a little bit of a different world being in a training room versus being in the clinic.
1: For sure, man. And, and where's the minor league affiliate for the Nationals?
0: Uh, well our AAA is now out in Fresno. Um, this is the first year that it was out there. So we don't have a whole lot of interaction with Fresno uh, it's on the other side of the country. Um, but we have a team in, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, um, and Hagerstown, Maryland and Potomac, Virginia. Um, so a lot of our, our guys, if they're local, they'll stick to one of those. If we want to keep them close by, they'll stick to one of those affiliates rather than ship them out to California.
1: Okay. But yeah, not like a lot of the other teams where you're either in Arizona or Florida,
0: huh? Uh well, that's our spring training facility We're we're down in Florida. Okay. And and we uh we share the spring training facility with the Astros, so surprised to oh. run into Jeremiah out out on a run somewhere on the complex. Oh, this will be interesting next season when you guys yeah, yeah. are all down there together, huh? West Palm Beach has some bragging rights right now.
2: Yeah, for sure. We're we're on the short end of that. <laughs> Well,
0: and and so, Jeremiah, kind
2: of take me through um, the way you
1: guys handle things um, and and where your primary base is.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, very similar to what Seth was describing. I mean, um, what we'll do with a guy a lot will just depend on um, the injury and what we have going on at the time. Typically, um, they'll either stay with us. Here in Houston, if it's a you know long term injury we may send them down to to West palm um, but it just depends really on what's going on. one of our biggest things just philosophy is we want to keep the players around their teammates as much as we can, obviously doing the right thing for them medically, but keeping them around their teammates um, I've seen that firsthand where that just plays a big part in getting guys back and then feeling a part of this team and not feeling you know isolated um, so that that is a big big part of what we do um, with our players. Uh, we are fortunate. Um, actually, we were in Fresno prior to the Nationals going there. And it was hard for us to get really any players to go to rehab assignments out there. And we're a heck of a lot closer than the Nationals are to Fresno. But we're spoiled now. We have our AAA is in in Round Rock, which is just outside of Austin. And our A is in Corpus. So those are both driving distance for our guys. So. A little bit easier sell for our guys to go on rehab assignments to those places than when we were working with Fresno, California. Um, so I mean that that's just kind of a, a short breakdown. A, a ton of what we deal with is just recovery for our guys with how much traveling we do, how many games we play, 162 games in 183 days. You know, starting pitchers. It's it's all about recovery and just dealing with a ton of chronic issues. Of course, you're going to have some some serious injuries along the way, but it's, it's really trying to keep our guys going um, in the middle of the season when no doubt everybody's not feeling great. It's how do we maximize that recovery really 18 hours between, um, you know, time that they have to end of the game and time they have to be back on the field the next day. So um, that's what we spend a lot of our time doing is, is how, do we, how do we get them in the best place possible for, for the next day.
1: Yeah, that's the big difference, really, like compared to the NFL guys when we're talking, you know, it's just – it's like how are we dealing with big boom trauma because these guys are just get blown up and then they have a week to try and kind of get better. And then Mm -hmm. with baseball and and basketball too, but baseball even more, it's the buzzword all the time right now is like what's everyone doing for recovery, recovery, recovery. Um, And that that really seems to be what what leads the cart right now. Um, So from people who might not know kind of what – baseball injuries entail. What, what's the kind of nagging issues that you're dealing with lots of times over you stuff? Is it all primarily arm related, others, other related? Um, kind of thinking through your season last year.
0: Yeah, it's, uh well, obviously, the arm's usually the weak link in the chain. And and that's usually where a lot of the symptoms come up that, you know, the shoulder and the elbow, especially. And I'd say, as far as those nagging day to day things like Jeremiah was talking about, it's it's really a lot of arm arm discomfort from you know, starting pitchers from relievers that are throwing every day. Um, you get a good amount of tightness in hips and you get your obliques and some hamstrings. Those are probably the, the most common things we had. Although this year, for some reason, we had a lot of guys just get hit by balls, um, foul balls and, and broken toes and broken fingers, things like that, which are pretty unavoidable. Um, but for us, I think the, the recovery is a huge part of it for me. And probably what uh, one of the biggest things that we work on is is really movement efficiency. And, and when I'm trying to explain this to people all the time, we usually say baseball is just, it's it's asking for overuse injuries, right? You're using your body to do something as hard as you can possibly do it a hundred times a day, every day. And if there's any inefficiencies, it's going to come up somewhere. And we see it, it usually comes up in the arm, um, but you can have inefficiencies in how you load through a foot or, you know, how much internal rotation you have in a hip and and then you just make compensations and you do that over and over and it winds up being an arm issue. So I'd say that the biggest nagging things are definitely shoulders, elbows, forearms, things like that. But one of the fun things from a PT side of it is trying to break it down and figure out where's that really coming from. Is it truly just you're using your shoulder too much or is there something that's causing you to change mechanics that's putting more stress on your arm?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Any thoughts on your end, Jeremiah? Yeah, I mean, really the, the same thing. I mean, pitchers, shoulders, elbows, we, t- we spend a ton of time um, with, with those two joints. And and position players, I mean, Seth, I'm sure you guys got the same thing, but you just got guys playing every single night, going hard as they can go. So, I mean, really anything lower half, just from a soft tissue standpoint. what what can we do to help this player just recover just a little bit better or, you know, maximize. We, we really try to maximize our off days. If we have a day game followed by an off day, the next day and a night game the following day, like that's, that's almost 48 hours without playing a baseball game, which is like vacation (laughs) for our guys. Um, So using that time as much as we can um, and, you know, organizing our treatment before that to, um, maximize that time because those those days are few and far between. So we really got to take advantage of, of those days uh, for our guys. But it it is it is a challenge, man, with all this travel and just late late nights and flights getting in at you know four a.m. Um, it is a challenge for our guys, no doubt.
0: Yeah, and you know it's it's interesting. You talk about those off days, and you would think from a, a healthcare side of things people would love them and would always want these off days to catch up on their sleep. And they definitely do like them, but these guys are so focused on their routine and doing something every day that a lot of the guys hate off days. You know, they like the idea of an off day, but they'll come in after an off day and say, I just feel terrible today. I, I didn't do enough yesterday. And that's, it, it seems kind of counterintuitive, but a lot of them feel like they need to throw every day. They need to do something every day. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but, no, we we see that all the time, especially in in the pitchers like you referenced. If they don't throw a baseball for you know a day and a half, they feel like they're lost. Um, no doubt about it. They are more sore, just as you described. Yes. Yeah. Well,
1: let's let's touch on baseball recovery then, and what that means, and and maybe segue start into to anything you guys might be doing with blood flow restriction from a recovery standpoint. Because I mean, I know you guys are. Both doing it, and, and if you get like an ACL or something like that, it's probably a no-brainer. Um, they're going to be doing BFR in those early acute stages, but but kind of peeling young him back a little bit. Recovery is just like such a broad term. You know, if, if, if you've heard me speak on any at uh, conferences, sometimes I bash it because it's such a catch-all. You know, what does it mean? Like you sleep better, you you hurt less, your your nutrition's getting dialed in, you're having more protein synthesis, so the muscle recovers quicker. You're doing something to maybe help drive collagen synthesis with the static structures. so um what what would you do on a recovery day you know back in the old days it's like we'll come in and let's spin on the bike and do a lactate flush <laughs> which is just total bs there's no lactate left in them um so give me some ideas of what your thoughts are on that and then start moving into any bfr strategies that that you've seen that have helped
2: um, I'll, I'll go first. So, I mean, a lot of what we're doing with our guys is, you know, whatever whatever you want to call it, active recovery, um, you know, um, but just as much as we can, the minute a guy gets off the field, whether it's our starting pitcher or it's a position player, um, I mean, we have certain things we do with the BFR where we literally just do, I mean, we call it static BFR, but, you know, some cell swelling and just basically they're just on the table letting the PFR do all the work, which is almost counterintuitive to some stuff that I, I believe as far as making athletes move and make them do stuff. But when you put it in perspective of this guy just played in 15 straight games, um, him doing a lot of movement is probably not going to help him. Um, but it's basically just how do we downregulate their system after they've been, you know, um, flying around the field for three hours and, and, how do we get them recovered from a lower body standpoint or their arm? How do we get them ready to sleep? Because that's another thing that we really deal with is I know starting pitchers, they may not get to bed till 3 or 4 in the morning the, the, the night after they pitched. And everybody thinks, well, they're so tired. But yeah, they're tired, but they're so amped up, and they're reliving every single pitch. Um, so it's how do we get them in a, a mental state where they can actually um, sleep? Um, so that's another real challenge that we face on just, just simply getting guys to sleep and you know that doesn't even get into the travel or if you got you know a newborn all that stuff that goes into real life stuff um, but we've just really taken it the minute you guys you know we get them off the field we try to get you know BFR strapped on them and yes we will use the bike from time to time um, but a lot of times it just may simply be chilling on the treatment table while you know myself and one of our guys, you know, chat with them. Um, it's pretty, pretty simple, but if you do it consistently, um, you know, we found it, it works pretty good.
0: Hey
1: Jeremiah, I'm kind of curious and you too, Seth, do you guys, do you bring in any outside help to kind of help you with prepping these folks to sleep, to help with their sleep quality, that kind of thing? Are there specific strategies
0: that you use on that front? Yeah, we had, a uh, I mean, we talk about sleep a good amount. We actually had a, a physician come into spring training and uh, gave us the whole rundown on sleep. And and we hear this a lot in the the PT world. But all the all the information that's come out the last few years on sleep hygiene and you know just unwinding your system and how to start shutting things down. Um, so we do we talk a ton about that. Um, we have a sleep <clears> room at the stadium, so obviously try to uh, encourage people to use that when they get in after a four o'clock travel. Um, so yeah, we, we talk about sleep a good amount and are always trying to promote that. And that's obviously when your body heals. So the more we can get them on a good, a good cycle, the better that is. But like Jeremiah said, with travel, that's almost impossible.
2: Yeah, we, we do a very similar um, thing. I mean, we have several people come in during spring training, um, try to take advantage of that time with guys to try to promote just good sleep habits and, um, to try to take with them you know in spring training throughout the season um and we're constantly honestly just nagging the guys about little things to help them sleep better whether it's whether it's what they eat right before bed or it's getting off your cell phone not watching tv you know 20 minutes before bed it's temperature control it's certain sheets um it's controlling the light that comes underneath your the door of your you know bedroom um all these little things that um we're just constantly on these guys about to, to try to um, I wouldn't even say educate, just remind them that these little things can make a difference for you. So um, it is a big thing right now. And, you know, we try to take advantage of it and educate our guys as much as we can. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah I'd, I'd say we also uh, another aspect in addition to all the sleep hygiene that it drives me a little bit crazy is sleep positioning. You know, it's something that we, we talk about all the time with with regular patients and definitely with players. But the idea of just having a pitcher come in and say, you know, my neck's hurting because of how I slept last night or, you know, didn't have a good pillow. that just, that's a pet peeve of mine. It drives me a little bit crazy that <laughs> these guys should know how to sleep and and we should be covering sleep position quite a bit with them, but we still hear it all the time. So what do you use
1: that, that, the perfect pillow thing that that one guy is, I need to get one of these. What, what do I need,
0: man? <laughs> A lot, of, uh, a lot of good options out there. Yeah, yeah. Like he's trying to be secretive because he's thinking, like, this was the key to that World Series championship. That's exactly. what, I see what's going on right here, Seth. Yeah, they all look rested. He's trying to get a good sponsorship.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so, yeah, and sleep hygiene's huge. I know in the DOD that was massive for us, just getting the freaking guys to, one, not drink booze late at night or not be on their phones or, or gaming. I mean, all these service members freaking love to play video games and they would be, they were like pitchers, you know, wired until four in the morning because they've been playing these war games the whole time. So um, yeah, that, that's huge. And, and we've always said no one's going to recover if you don't get into a deep sleep. Um, that, that's a known fact, but it, but it's obviously hard to hard to make happen, especially when we're traveling from coast to coast. Um, touching back, Jeremiah, so the ischemic preconditioning sounds like what you're doing or cell swelling where you're just putting it on passively on the guys and we're getting more and more anecdotal reports um we did a podcast a little while back um discussing the most recent literature and how it looks like it might be aiding recovery as well as maybe aiding performance it it looks like it's real and you and i talked about it it looks like you know with that stuff and with all things with high performers um there's obviously some people that respond extremely well things like that and those are the ones you just got to keep doing it with and some people might respond a little some people might feel like it it takes them the other direction is that what you guys see with bfr and with recovery or with anything else that you kind of have these like really good responders and maybe not so much on the other side
2: yeah yeah 100 percent. i mean we we have you know a good amount of our roster that will purposely seek this out post game that we don't even have to really push it with anymore which obviously that's awesome it makes Makes our job a little bit easier, but I know guys that they don't even really ask. They don't care about the science at all behind it. They just do it, and they've done it two or three times, and then it makes them feel better. Yeah, they get yeah. up off the treatment table just feeling refreshed. Which, if we can do that and send them out the door feeling you know five percent better, headed into you know the, tomorrow's game, then um, that, that's a win for us, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean we'll do that. We will do just, you know, depending on, you know, what, what what are they dealing with as far as soreness or they've had a little injury here or there. We'll add some stuff post-game, whether it's it's simple. Like, it might just be active range of motion yeah. stuff. Yeah. But just little stuff that if we get our guys to be consistent with it, um, I know we'll pay dividends. Um, yeah. That's what we've we really tried not to overwhelm our guys with a bunch of stuff. Just be consistent with little stuff.
1: Perfect. Yeah. And, and so that's what's interesting with this. And if you can look at it from a recovery, it's a, pers- it's this whole kind of range. So just laying there on the table and having your limb go into ischemia, there's potential that we're blunting muscle damage from some studies that are out there. And so one, you know, if you say recovery, well, one recovery thing we want to look at is how quickly can I make the muscle recover? Cause that's important for an athlete. So if you look at the net protein balance equation, you're either synthesizing protein or you're breaking it down. And so if these guys are laying there, they're getting it on their limb, that's shown to have a protective effect for muscle, for, for the heart, for, for the brain, for all sorts of organs. We don't understand why, but it does, even on blood draws showing creatine kinase levels are lower. And so that's helped them recover. But then if they do a little bit of exercise, maybe stem, ride the bike, Then maybe they're blunting the muscle damage, but also synthesizing some protein as well. And then you start to maybe get this extra boost of recovery. So um, yeah, it it seems like, you know, you kind of started if they're just smoked and that's all they can do. Hell yeah, just get them on the table and and see if this makes them feel better. And if it does, then there is some science behind it. And and that might be a responder. If they can do a little bit of exercise, I think you maybe get a little bit more from it um and, and, and then you just kind of kind of gauge where your guys are but but i think it's a perfect way to go about it and, and what we're hearing and seeing from more and more teams all the time is these guys post game are you doing it on on leg only on arm for recovery now or uh
2: we're, we're doing it on arms we're doing it on legs um i would say in general probably more you know, movement-based stuff from a pitcher standpoint when we have it on their arms. So actually doing some, you know, what would be considered, you know, shoulder therapeutic exercise. Not always, sometimes, you know, we're trying to follow the same principles. If the guy has pitched a lot in the last, whatever week, 10 days, whatever, we try to be smart and not, not do a ton with them, but we're, we're definitely using it on arms and legs, um, just the same. But try to follow the same same concepts, regardless of whether it's the player or pitcher.
1: And I know Brad Lambert, who's part with the Methodist system, who's a healthcare system for you guys. I talked to him today, actually, and and he does have the the trial going right now in the MLB. Um, the first cohort finished up, but doing BFR um, on pitchers twice a week after they've thrown. Um, so far, you know, looks like promising data. Um, but we're probably going to have to get a whole nother co- cohort enrolled to have it powered high enough, um, to get there, but that's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Cause there's a lot that's being tracked, not only increasing strength in the shoulder, but increasing, uh, muscle size and also tracking things like pitching velocities and things like that. There's probably way too many variables with, we're looking at pitching velocities and, and yeah. all of that, but, um, a lot of interesting data that we're going to see. Um, and also from a safety and efficacy standpoint. Um, you know, you want to make sure both those things are going there. And, and so far, I don't think there's been any issues from a safety profile and we can open that can of worms <laughs> here in a little bit too. Seth, you got anything um, on your end? I, I know you're seeing the more, not on the recovery standpoint as much probably, but more on the injury side back, back at clinic. But
0: Yeah. I mean, and also with the team on uh, you know, when I'm there, I think it is used more, definitely more on the injury side. That's for sure. Um, you know, I think one of the challenges is when you get buy-in from these guys, you know, and, and how early you introduce it to them, because like, we know a lot of these guys, they have their own things. They like to do for recovery. You know, one guy, it might be, he likes to go do contrast and one's using Norma or Mark pros and things like that. And, and, you know, to get buy-in from everybody sometimes is not always the uh, the easiest when they've had their routine that they like to do. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I do see, you know, definitely the need for that. And it, at least when guys are having little minor tweaks and muscles and things like that to try to tell them, you know, we're always trying to get them to work out on a pretty much on a daily basis to be able to do some stuff under BFR. It's a lot lower load um, Mm. that they, so they're not stressing it quite as much and hopefully promoting a little bit more, uh, more tissue repair. So we probably, we use it more in that sense than just in a true recovery post game.
1: How about from an analgesic standpoint? Anything um, you guys have seen or have tried where someone has a nagging injury and and they seem to get this like pain relieving response um, from BFR? And I know some of the you uh, know NBA teams, especially towards the end of the season, that was that was getting pretty popular. Um, anything you guys have tried with that?
0: Uh, I haven't. I mean, I, I like the idea of it, but we haven't used it in that in that aspect yet.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say the same thing. We haven't done really, really much with that. It's probably some of it's just um, some of the scenarios that I I can think of right now that we could potentially use it in. I don't don't know if the athletes would be on board with it, to be honest, Um, even though the research might be really good for it. But I've not used it a ton in that environment, no. Yeah, it's a very –
1: it's a sport with athletes that a lot of tradition and lore in their routines – and so you Absolutely. definitely don't want to, don't want to mess around with any pregame routine. Um, I definitely uh, would understand. So Jeremiah, you just presented on blood flow restriction at the winter meetings. Um, can you kind of give us uh, a little synopsis on like, you know, kind of how it all went, what the response was, like you said, uh, yeah, maybe about 50% of the MLB is, is probably doing it right now. Um, although we don't have hard and fast
2: numbers. Yeah. So, um, just a, a great, great opportunity to go and present there. They, The MLB actually added an extra section Sunday morning, which is basically just strength coaches, PTs, athletic trainers, that group meeting together because, you know, obviously we're the group that is really working with the athletes every single day and just interacting with them almost 24-7. Um, so... Got the opportunity to go and present with um, Brendan Werner, our strength coach here um, with the Astros on really, how do we, what's the science behind it? How do we use it in the, you know, I guess, traditional setting, whether it be rehab or the training room, how do we get into the, the weight room as well um, and not just use it only in the, the, uh, the training room? Cause that's one thing, one of our philosophies is we want guys really. Training room and weight room are, are really one room, if that makes sense, to where um, we try to get, even if a guy can't do much, get him in the weight room and be around the healthy players as much as we can. Um, but specifically, you know, as far as what, what I presented on and how that went, um, it, it went really well overall. Just really the, the main purpose of the whole thing was just to get discussion amongst teams on, hey, how are you using this? How are you not using it? Um, and overall, just very well. I mean, good conversations about hey, we've we've used it in the recovery setting, or you know, post ACL surgery to reduce atrophy when you can't do a ton of, you know, strengthening of the quads yet early on in the rehab process. Or how early can you use it post Tommy John? How quickly can you implement it? What do you need to be careful of? Um, you know, and some of this, a lot of the, just the safety concerns because to, to some people um they've just not seen it or used it so hey there's this new new thing on the market that people are getting really good results what do we need to be concerned about as a clinician just to make safety our number one priority for our for our players so just walking through some of that with with a lot of the the teams and just um you know good questions from the group and everything um there's there's definitely probably 50 percent of teams are doing it um, on some level, some teams are doing it across the board at every single level. There's maybe some teams that maybe just have one or two units. Um, but overall went good. So just all in all, a great opportunity to go and present to, to that group, you know, with our head strength coach and, um, you know, just kind of get a little bit more info out there. Cause in the end, you know, everybody, we, we obviously compete against each other on the field, but we're everybody, we just want to keep the guys healthy and give them the opportunity to compete no matter what team they're on. Um, so just a great opportunity. It's awesome. Your
1: strength coaches are on board. That's not always the case, not only with Buffalo restriction, but sometimes there's a, a literal wall between the <laughs> training room and the strength room. And so yeah, no, having your, your coach even jumping in on that talk, you know, yeah. strength coaches don't like to talk low load.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it is definitely, uh, definitely a little bit of a challenge, but no, he's, he's awesome. Cause he, you know, just in baseball, you got to be able to change and um do things a little bit different every once in a while so we take you know, that, that's the big thing for us is having our whole staff on the same page and not really um having any uh silos or egos about how we we do business around here we take you know great pride in that so um, yeah it's it's, it's
1: rough man having to do winter meetings in san diego i don't think <laughs> you can call that freaking winter meetings
2: yeah i was trying to stay for another week but my wife would she wasn't on board with that with our two little ones at home so i had to come back Dude, you're living my life then. that's, that's I'm, I'm Mr. <laughs> 6 o'clock flight
1: in the morning guy. So, well, and, and so let, let me discuss this then, and this whole safety, you know. So, man, I think we've gone safety ad nauseum on this podcast. If you go to our course, we go deep into it. We went through every kind of safety profile we could in the DoD when we were first starting to do this on the, on the Wounded Warriors. Um, so Mike Reinhold he's a buddy of mine a uh, baseball guy, he's, he's what, with the White Sox now, I think, consulting with them, um, he put out a tweet the other day, I'm not doing blood flow restriction on my pitcher's arms anymore because I'm worried about neurovascular um, compression, um, and so uh, I want to thank Mike for making my my freaking cell phone blow up that morning with everyone going, what the hell, what's going on with this neurovascular compression, um, but, you know, what, what he didn't really do is give any rationale um, that I can see, you know, he mentioned, like, you know baseball players arms seem to be kind of you know overridden with a sympathetic drive or, or neural compromise um, from what they do and the bfr is going to exacerbate that but but no real uh, actual evidence behind that um and and so i can get your guys thoughts on it i i'll put out what we know of what blood flow restriction does to a nerve and nerve conduction velocity so there's a, there's a ton of tourniquet literature that's looked at um, the potential damage to, to nerves. And, it, and it's pretty straightforward it dialed into when you go have surgery on a limb, they follow these AORN guidelines, which part of that is set up so that the tourniquet uses the lowest pressure possible. They use wide tapered cuffs. They're pneumatic and they control the pressure um, plugged into the unit um, to, to mitigate nerve damage because nerve damage is something that can happen with tourniquets. We just had a giant, retrospective study come out of the DOD from the wars, and from the battlefield tourniquets, the, the biggest injury from the tourniquet was actual nerve damage from a pressure gradient. But if you look at when you're using a, a, a pneumatic tourniquet um, and, it's, and it's on a limb and what it does for nerve compression um, velocities. The first study was done by Brian Clark I, I, almost a decade ago, I think. And so basically they looked at the H-reflex, so more of a sensory response after you do blood flow restriction for four weeks. um, And and there was no change at all in nerve conduction velocity or that h reflex profile um, from chronic blood flow restriction um, done. And and a new study just came out kind of timely about two days ago that went into a deeper dive of this. And so they looked at um, M-wave, so motor and H-wave, and the latencies between those. And so that's a more sophisticated kind of uh, deeper way to look at it. And if that changed nerve conduction velocities at all and they also looked at it at, at the, kind of the, the pressures that we're using now in research and clinically at 60 percent limb occlusion pressure and 80 percent limb occlusion pressure and then they looked at those pressures with exercise to see does exercise add something else to it and after looking at that no change at all in mh wave or, or nerve conduction velocity at 60 80 or 60 or 80 with exercise um, so if you look at it from you know, studies that have looked at it kind of from a, a science-based perspective, it doesn't look like there's any compromise when you're controlling for um, this in the right way. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what Mike's using. Maybe he's got a, a more narrow tourniquet that might be causing issues on his guys or something like that. But we haven't had reports um, from the teams. I know, Jeremiah, you and I have talked. We haven't really heard anything from, from your end either. That, that study and you know, other conclusion was basically if you stay within this uh, you know, sub arterial occlusion range and you use wide cuffs, um, you keep your tourniquet times to a minimum, um, there should be no issues at all with any neurovascular or nerve conduction velocity loss. So that, that's what I have from a kind of a science perspective on it. Um, any thoughts on y'all's end? Uh, I mean, I think y'all agree since you're, you're kind of already doing it and haven't seen issues.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think you bring up a, a couple of good points, Johnny. Um, first of all, the the type of tourniquet that's used, and I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you, but obviously, <laughs> I like the uh, I like the units that we use quite a bit. And and like Jeremiah was saying, bringing it to the winter meetings and talking to a lot of teams, I, I also get to interact with with some other teams, some, some with football, with hockey, um, and we see that it's used pretty prevalently. Um, but it's all across the board as far as which systems they use. And, and like you're saying, a lot of them are using just the real narrow cuffs or, or some of these tubes that you just pump up. So I think it's tough to say that, you know, just make a blanket statement that BFR would cause compression if not everybody's use, using the same, the same devices. Um, I mean, from a, my perspective on pitchers, I have absolutely no issue using it on pitchers. And, you know, we definitely get pitchers that have – neurovascular symptoms at, at times, but at least the ones that I've seen, the vast majority of that comes from more proximal issues. It comes from scalene hypertrophy and, and first rib issues and all brachial plexus issues a little bit higher up. Um, so I, I don't think that that has anything to do with what you're occluding down on the proximal arm. Um, so I think saying that pitchers get neurovascular symptoms, so I'm not going to do limb occlusion, for me, doesn't really make sense because it might be coming from something completely different.
1: Right. And when the science says putting the tourniquet on isn't doing anything to the neurovascular bundle, you know, right. from what we're seeing, at least from a nerve conduction velocity, H-wave, M-wave, you know, if, it, it's kind of smacks whenever we were first starting to do this and our surgeons said, you can't put that on people, it's going to cause clots. And it's like, wait, 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 well, let's look at what the science says here and we've got studies and, and mechanistically, we don't see that um so it, it kind of feels like that it's, you know we're saying well just trust me i know it does sort of situation here um so yeah well I, I don't see any concerns um haven't heard of any concerns but but it'll be a fun debate to see kind of where people go on
0: it yeah i mean i think that's similar to saying well because they get this i'm not going to push on the scalenes or do soft tissue up there because it has a temporary effect of possibly causing some ischemic responses and, and, you know, some neurovascular compression. So, you know, that, that just doesn't make sense to me.
1: Yeah. And, and heavy load training has shown that it, it does change nerve conduction velocities and does have an effect on that as well. So, you know, then it's like, well, are you not going to let these guys lift a weight, a heavy weight, you know, right. are, you, are you not going to check their blood pressure? Cause you're <laughs> nervous that, you know, that thing's going to compress. So, um, kind of, kind of a weird blanket statement that was thrown out. Cool. Any other thoughts or or cool pearls you have? What's it gonna take for us to beat the nationals next year, man? <laughs> a lot a lot of movement going on right now in, in the postseason. Players yeah. all over the place. You guys get contracts like back. these players are getting?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Gotta see who comes back.
2: Yeah. 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 Everybody's everybody's busy right now. Maybe if you uh if we get more BFR units than the uh the nationals. <laughs>
1: And well, if that shows it what makes you win a World Series is blood flow restriction, <laughs> hell yeah, I'm, I'm in a good world.
0: You'll be a rich man, Johnny.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, cool, fellas. If you guys don't have any other uh, parting shots here, then uh, I think I think I, I learned a lot from you.
0: Yeah, I, I would say I had one thing. Um, you know, I think a lot of uh, a lot of what we do, just hands-on, at least from my perspective, is is a lot of like neuromuscular facilitation and a lot of PNF work and getting, you know, the right muscles firing and the right activation work. And I, I think BFR just goes so nicely with that. And I was just talking to, to one of my therapists about this today that, you know, let's get the right things firing and then using BFR to just get everything kicking in that much better um, I, I've just seen great results with in the clinic. So I, I think sometimes I hear from from a therapist perspective, well, they kind of shy away from it. It's a modality. And I want to just have my hands on the patient the whole time, which I'm a big believer in. Um, but I think seeing how it actually couples with what we're doing manually is is pretty awesome, too.
1: Yeah, it's just another tool in that toolbox, right? You got it. Yeah. Oh, cool. And also I'll say, uh, you guys, your institutions are putting the money where the mouth is. ANOVA has clinical trials right now. We're looking at BFR with ACLs. Right. Um, the Astros are, are doing some, some studies with the MLB and Methodist healthcare system up there has more dang BFR studies than I can shake a stick at right now. So, uh, y'all's, y'all's institutions are also helping lead the way to, to make us understand the science a little bit more. So that's, that's badass. Awesome. Now, get enrolled in patients and get these studies done, please.
2: Yeah, every every time I talk with the guys over there at Methodist, whether it's uh, Matt Holland or Corbin, it's, they got something new, new yeah. study that they got going. So they got a lot of stuff going. Yeah,
1: freaking Lambert, my my page is full of, of studies that he's planning right now. So he's <laughs> going you to know, freaking be leading the world. And and let me tell you, I, I don't know if you can trust Matt Holland with any of his blood flow restriction stuff because he. You know, he's, he's an old friend of mine. And I, I started telling him I was going to do start doing maybe a blood flow restriction course years ago. And he came to town. And he said, hey, can I take that course? And I told him it's not ready yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm close. And so uh, he said, I'll just come do it. And he, he was my first blood flow restriction certified person ever. Oh, and really? Me and him, in <laughs> one person course. Uh, <laughs> and it was the worst damn course. <laughs> yeah. try, try and teach someone with one guy just sitting there in front of you.
2: I'm going uh, to get on him tomorrow because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him. He, he probably has no idea what he's even talking about with oh, blood man. flow I mean, restriction. I didn't know but what I was talking about. I didn't know what half
1: those slides meant back then. So He's uh, the one yeah. that taught me a bunch of stuff, so I don't know if I can trust the dude. Yeah, he's making it up, man. <laughs> well, no, he he is he is BFR certified number one. Uh, so. Interesting. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, appreciate your time and um, stay stay in touch. We'll talk soon.
2: All right. Sounds That's
0: good. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, All guys. Right. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Owens Recovery Science podcast. Owens Recovery Science is a single source for PTs, OTs, ATCs, DCs, MDs, and other medical professionals. Seeking certification in personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training. Find them online at
2: owensrecoveryscience.com.